Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. The following podcast is a W2M Network original production. Visit w2mnet.com for all of our other great podcasts, plus news, reviews, articles, and opinions from the worlds of wrestling, video games, football, and entertainment. Wrestling to the Max, Monday Night Raw, review. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Wrestling to the Max's Raw Review for this evening, and we are so excited to talk about this show, only because this is the fallout from No Mercy. I, of course, want to let you guys know, once again, W2Mnet.com is the place to go to find all your great wrestling needs and all your great reviews as well. And make sure you go subscribe at Wrestling to the Max wherever you find it. Maybe you go on YouTube. Maybe you search out Apple Podcasts or any other place. Just make sure you hit that subscribe button, rate, and review as well, and we will definitely appreciate it. Tonight, I am your host, Gary Vaughn, your host, and with me is not Paul Leeser. It is Harry Broadhurst. That's right. Your normal SmackDown Live and 205 Live host. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm excited to have you tonight, Harry. Uh, Paul is sick, sadly. Um, but I'm still so stoked to do another show with you, man. Yeah, there are those that would argue that Paul would be sick normally, but that's beside the point. Uh, yeah, glad, happy to fill in for him. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, but, you know, it's kind of <laughs> funny. The way, you know, the way it's worked out, you know, I'm still trying to get over a little sickness myself. And, you know, Sean and Paul both came down with sicknesses following No Mercy last night in the show we did. So uh, apparently well, I am patient zero. Well, given the finish to the last two matches at No Mercy, I can see how that made them sick. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm not going to argue with you at, at all on that. So, <laughs> But, uh, yeah, I mean, and of course, if people did not get a chance to hear it, we did do a No Mercy review show last night, Paul, Sean, and I, and uh, it, it was fun, you know. Uh, I, I think me being sick made me a little loopy at times, uh, but you know those guys did a great job, even if I was kind of not so. But hopefully tonight I'm a lot better, and of course with the help of Harry, well, it's gonna be fun. Well, not only did you guys do a No Mercy review, myself and Patrick did Wrestling Unwrapped reacts for No Mercy as well, also available on the W2M website. Good job there, and that's right, and uh, what a wonderful review you guys did. I got a chance to listen to it, and you know that's what's so fun, and what's so great about W2M.com, you can go and find multiple review shows, and trust me, all the wrestling content you can handle. So, uh, But let's jump into this Monday Night Raw tonight, Harry. Uh, we've got one that you know I- I'm really curious about a lot of the things going on on this show that you have an opinion about, and of course I'll share a few things that I think as well. We started this show out with Ms. TV, just like we got promised at No Mercy, and Roman Reigns is the guest. And really, honestly, this is 
normal Miz TV stuff, right? I mean, you you get you know Miz making snide comments at Roman Reigns, and Reigns is making his snide comments, and being being the funny guy, not just the guy, supposedly the funny guy, and you know Miz is basically saying I'm the only champion in the ring right now, and Roman Reigns is making fun of him, and it, it's a back and forth. In fact, you know even Roman Reigns uh in his you know best Southern imitation i would say you know makes fun of the mr raj and tells you know curtis axel and bo dallas to go get him a bear things like that so that was the way that all worked out in the long run roman reigns wants to challenge the miz and so that match will happen later in the show uh but miz decides to walk uh, out of the ring and doesn't really want to fight and you have Kurt Angle show up and of course get a little bit of revenge here for all the stuff that miz has said about him and Tells everyone in the room, well, you're going to have a match, and so is your compadres. Bo Dallas and Curtis Axel will be taking on Matt Hardy and his son, Jason Jordan. So, talking about Miz TV here, what did you think about this whole thing, Harry, and the way this show started out? Uh, I want to give uh, credit for to Miz for having the balls to kind of take a snide shot at Lesnar as well stating that the Intercontinental title was the only singles title on Raw that mattered, mostly because the Universal Champion is traditionally nowhere to be found. <laughs> yeah, it's true. I love that as well. I thought that was a great little comment. That's why the Miz is so great. That's, I mean, he can say those kind of things better than anyone, and so it, it was perfect. It's the truth, though, Harry. It's the truth. Miz is out popping pretty much everybody these days, and I think that it's going to get to the point here sooner rather than later. I mean, obviously with what happens in the match, we'll talk about in a little bit here. Uh, They have a set course for where they're going with Miz and friends for tables, ladders, and chairs. But I think eventually it's going to get to the point here where Miz's mic skills are just going to end up having to turn him babyface again. Yeah, I mean, it, it really honestly has been the theme here. Like, as much of a jerk as he is, and, you know, he's really arrogant, he's got that big ego, it kind of rubs people the wrong way. He's still really, you know, getting a lot of pops, getting people behind him, because he's saying things to people that we really kind of, at times, despise. And trust me, there's lots of people that don't like Roman Reigns, as many people that do love Roman Reigns. So I think you get that same feeling here. And, you know, of course, once again, not just mm-hmm. go ahead. not not just Roman calling Jason Jordan out as well. Yeah, because obviously, as we've kind of seen over the course of the last couple of weeks, and especially last night at No Mercy, that crowd was solidly against Jason Jordan at No Mercy. Yeah, and, you know, I think that it's a theme that's kind of also happened with a lot of the crowds, especially last night. That was probably the hottest I've heard a crowd boo and just really dismiss Jason Jordan in general. That was a big deal with them. They did not like him. And in other arenas, you do have still have the boos. And then there's other people that give him hey, a chance. You know, he's Jason Jordan. Let's see what he can do. So I think we are leading down that road of Jason Jordan is going to start getting into that heel category sometime down the line. Um, but there's a good reason why you should. I mean, people booing you and booing your dad and all that stuff, that would piss me off. So, yeah. Well, I kind of uh, had this conversation with Patrick yesterday, and I wanted to get your thoughts on this here. Do you feel like they would have put Jason Jordan into a Rocky Maivia situation if they had given him the IC title yesterday, where you would have started experiencing those die Rocky chants, those die Rocky die chants again? I think there's that possibility. 
Now, it's kind of hard to say it would work out in favor of Jason Jordan like it did Rocky Maivia, but I think, yes, I think you would be getting put in those situations where people would definitely boo him as he came out with the Intercontinental title. I think you get a lot more crowd reactions as well when Kurt Angle comes out because a lot of people would feel that Kurt Angle basically gave him that, right? They would ignore that Jason Jordan may have earned it, they would just say, oh, this is because, you know, daddy's the GM, and they would go into that frame earlier than they would. Not basically what they're going to do later on, right? It would be a lot sooner. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I, I don't know if he's going to – right now, Jason Jordan has the heat of Rocky Maivia, though. Right? Rocky really had pretty strong heat with the crowd. We're also talking about a different time, though, where, you know, your crowd intensity was pretty hot compared to what I think we get That's... nowadays. That's fair. I think the fans back then were a lot more dialed into paying attention to the product. But then again, with the three-hour shows, you kind of can't blame them in terms of attention spans. (laughs) That's the truth. You know, we talk about that all the time. Still, the same reason why I'm not wanting NXT to go to two hours. So, you know. Uh, But nonetheless, I mean, so what we get here is, you know, Miz TV being done, and they'll move on to the matches later in the show. The the first match that we get though is. Bo Dallas and Curtis Axel taking on Matt Hardy and Jason Jordan. And, you know, this is a pretty solid match, if you ask me. Nothing super out of the ordinary. Uh, But, you know, really, this was for the fans, I think, you know, to really get behind Matt Hardy. Of course, you know, he's the one that gets the pin. You know, I I didn't think it was a bad match, Harry. I thought it was a fine match. They did some good things here. Um, But, you know, with Jason Jordan getting to shine a little bit, kind of what they want to do with him. But really, we honestly knew who the crowd wanted to see was Matt Hardy, and that's what they gave to us. And I understand that the crowd wanted to see Matt Hardy here, but given the developments a little bit later on in the show, I think hindsight being twenty twenty says that the Miztourage probably should have went over here. And I'm specifically referring to what happened at the end of the Miz and Roman Reigns match, which I'm sure we'll touch on here in a bit. That being said, I, I worry that they're going to saddle Matt with Jason Jordan until Jeff's rotator cuff is good to go, and that could be anywhere from six to eight months. Yeah, and, and that's you know an issue. It really is, and you know we've already seen this happen to the revival. That they definitely don't need another tag team taken off and put on the shelf, right? I mean, this is not good news for them. But at least Matt Hardy has experience being a single star. At least he has the star power to do it on his own. So that's a good thing, but yet nothing meaningful, I think, will come out of it, sadly, right? I mean, I don't know if you agree or disagree with that. I just don't see a whole lot of meaningful things coming out of a singles run with Matt while, you know, his brother's on the shelf. Well, I think that'll depend on whether or not this will be the catalyst for them to want to get the rights to the broken Matt Hardy gimmick. You know, but as long as I've had my fingers crossed, I'm not holding my breath. You know, that's that's the problem. Agreed. (laughs) <laughs> I want to see it. Trust me. You're exactly right. This is the perfect opportunity to get that started. If there was any situation that could be brighter or better, I, I don't know if you could find it. But it's just I don't know. And with everything that Anthem is going through over there with GFW and them splitting apart and all this stuff going on with that brand in general – it would be amazing for them just to say, screw it. We're just cutting all ties with all that old crap. Do what you want with the Broken Hardy stuff. We're just going to go to Canada and restart. That would be the, the golden surprise for all of us, but I don't know. I, I hope it is, though. I really, really do. 
Uh, but still, even without it, I think Matt can do some things here. But I, I, without the broken hearty stuff, if, I don't see anything meaningful. If he doesn't do the broken hearty stuff, then maybe a return to the Mattitude. Because I always thought that his run at, with uh, when he was doing the Mattitude Hardy thing with the V1 and the and the MFers and stuff, I always thought that was very entertaining as well. Hardy was one of the more underrated parts of SmackDown back then in the brand split. Yeah. The only problem with that is I, I don't want them getting too far away from the broken stuff if they have an opportunity. If there's still hope, I don't want him to break off and start something new and then people are like, well, why is he going back? I, I don't know if the fans would really like that. As good as the stuff was in the past, I don't know that's a smart idea if you still have an opportunity. But we'll see. I, 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 you know, I, I'm happy with Matt in, in general, though, just seeing what he can do and making his own way on the single side. Uh, but you're right. There's so much involved here. And, you know, I think that they wanted to get the crowd and excited and to see Matt win here. And I think you make a valid point when you said that the Miztourage probably should have won here. And so I'm going to let you give more points because I'm going to go ahead and bring up the Roman Reigns and Miz match. And we'll talk about that here. And, you know, once, you know, we kind of get into this, you kind of see a little bit of that stuff that you're kind of alluding to. I I think they did a decent job here. I I think, you know, Roman Reigns does Roman Reigns. I I don't think that, you know, he blew you away here. But I think the Miz was a good foe for him. I really appreciated, you know, what you got with Bo and you know, of course, Curtis Axel getting involved here, like always, and trying to cause a big problem for, you know, everything that Roman was trying to do to the Miz. You do have Roman Reigns overcoming that stuff. Uh, you're going to get this like normal. That's the, you know, John Cena passed the torch to him on this kind of stuff. So here we are once again. Roman Reigns wins. He's the victor. Uh, but really, did he win? Because the, you know, the rest of the guys decide to show up back in the ring. And so Axel and Dallas take him down with some chairs. All of a sudden, Roman Reigns, uh, you know, was able to come back before the chairs. Now that the chairs are involved, he can't come back from that. And the Miz and all the company here lay out Roman for uh, a bit here. I mean, I, really, I don't know what to say about this, Harry, for the fact that they really just did what they do with Roman and that's make everybody else look bad. They had to bring chairs into the equation to make the Mr. Raj look like they were even worth being in the ring with him. Yeah. And you mentioned the fact that Cena patched the torch to, to Roman, which pretty much means that around the 15 minute mark, Roman doesn't have to sell anything anymore in a match. Apparently. Yeah. It, you're right there. Just, you got it. One of the, one of the worst ha- ha- habits of Cena as well in the fact that once it got to a certain point in the match, any kind of work that was done towards him immediately became irrelevant. That being said, I think the biggest talking point out of here is how the beatdown ended after the squall-crushing finale on the chair. Yes, and you're talking about the uh, the shield moment that they had there, right? Yeah, touch and fist. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I didn't see that coming, honestly. Not a little bit when they mentioned it in Ms. TV talking about the shield and yeah, how he, yeah, all that stuff. So, and that's kind of where I was going with this, and the fact that uh, Ms. kind of threw out the teaser shot earlier in the show with the fact that he thought that the Ms. Car- Ms. Tarash could take down the shield here, and then you see them laying out one of the members of the shield, and now that Cesaro's apparently going to have to have dental work done and we'll talk about Cesaro and everything that happened with him when we get to that match a little bit later but 
Uh, obviously, that means that Ambrose and Rollins are probably going to need a new feud as well, and it appears that they're going to be joining up with their old running mate into going into the tables, ladders, and chairs pay-per-view. Which, you know, I'm, I I don't know what to think about that. Then again, I do. Uh, I'm not sure that I'm sold on it. Maybe that's why I'm not sure if I'm really understanding what I want to think about it. But on the flip side of that coin, the way The Miz is and everything he brings to the table, I don't want to also say carrying Bo Dallas and Kurt Axel, but yes, he kind of carries those guys. I think it could be fun. I think it could actually be something that people want to revisit because for a long time, people have wanted to revisit the Shield, and it really hasn't made sense. There's been a lot of components that have kind of not led up to us having that reunion. Now here's an opportunity because of all the injuries going on in the tag division. Rollins and Ambrose are you know doing their thing, but at the moment, everybody else in that division is injured, so this is the, the perfect storm. Uh, so I, I'm not against it. I'm just saying I don't know if it's going to fare well. Uh, I think the Shield reunion in and of itself will equal buys. Uh, I think the Shield reunion in and of itself will sell a lot of T-shirts. I think that it'll do better ratings on television with the reunion of all three of them. But at the same time, it comes down to a case of believability. And as of right now, when it comes to believability, and more specifically credibility, Bo Dallas and Curtis Axel have about zero. Yeah, and that's why you mentioned earlier why them losing tonight in that tag match really didn't make sense. Because now we're coming out of that match and almost every other match those two guys have. In fact, you know, Roman Reigns single-handedly took care of him after that, you know, beat Alvin and Miz. I mean, I appreciate the fact that Bo Dallas is trying his best to become Barry Windham. Like, I, I appreciate the effort into changing up the character for Bo Dallas, but at the same time, you mentioned the fact that The Miz kind of carries them, and I think in regards to their in-ring work, their in-ring work is fine if is fine if unspectacular. Their issue is their lack of charisma, and when it comes to interacting with a group such as having all three members of the Shield back together in Reigns, Rollins, and Ambrose, you're looking at a case of a definite charisma void between the two teams. You're exactly Miz, right. Miz is really good, but he can't carry a three-person feud by himself. Yeah, basically, this feud is going to have to work inside the ring without the microphones. That's that's At the least. way this. Yeah, <laughs> we're we're going to have to see that, and they're going to have to allow Bo Dallas and Curtis Axel to be relevant and, and to really have a right to be in that ring with those guys because we're talking about three guys that have been world champions. Right, I mean, every member of, the, of that whole team in, in the, the same night. Yeah, in the same night. Yeah, you're right. Uh, so back at, back at Money in the Bank 2013, 14. No, later. Later. 15, I think. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, nonetheless, I mean, you're right. They were all champions in one night, but these guys are very decorated. And then when you come on the flip side of that, the Miz is the only decorated guy. And then you got Bo being an NXT champion, which does that really even count in this world? Um, and Curtis Axel, who, well, his dad was a great champion. <laughs> so, I mean, really, Ax- it's... Axel has, a lot of people forget this, Axel has an Intercontinental and a tag title reign to his credit. But at the uh, same time, the tag the tag title reign was with David Otunga, so realist, or not David Otunga, with, um, shoot, who was it? Was it Otunga? No. Because Otunga and um, Otunga and Cena lost it to Axel and somebody. Was it Was it Harris? I 
That may have been. I, I'm, I'm, my memory is escaping me right now. Regardless, uh, uh, that that tells you how irrelevant his tag title reign was. And his intercontinental title reign came on the heels of Johnny Curtis Fandango getting hurt and him being added into the match last minute. And was he Curtis Axel at that time? Would, was he going under the other name, which I can't no, remember he was if he Curtis, was not? He, he was Curtis Axel. Uh, it was at uh, Payback uh, okay. in 20, 2013. The one that uh, the, it was a triple threat mass, match. It was Miz, Axel, and I am drawing an absolute blank on the third. I'd have to look that one up, but yeah, I, you know, I mean, it just kind of you're right. It does show you that people have kind of I forgot to be honest with you. Now that you say it, I remember it, but it, it's just so out of my mind most of the time because of the way he's been presented for so long now. So both of those guys have to earn some victories, have to do some good things to get us ready for that feud, if you ask me, because it, it's not going to fare well, I think, with the audience if they're going into it as cold as they are right now. So hopefully they do heat that up. Hopefully they get a more even keel situation going when they do get that big matchup going. So, um, But I'm still happy about it. I don't want people to think I'm not happy about it. I'm definitely excited about seeing their shield reunite and, and do their thing. But I, I don't want it to be just about the shield. I, I want their opponents to actually feel like that they deserve to be in the ring with them. So, Okay. Uh, go ahead. Um, just real quick. I was correct. It was David Otunga that he won the tag titles with. Mm-hmm. And that was when they made uh, the team of Cena and Otunga forfeit the tag titles. And then, oh no, Cena and Darren Young were the tag team champions, and then they lost them to um, Otunga and Axel. But Axel's Intercontinental title win was in a triple threat match back in uh, 2013 in May. Hold on. I'm... I just had it. Now I lost it. Go ahead and move on, and I'll get okay. it. I'll get I just <laughs> so, had it. Now I lost it. It's not a big deal. Uh, so yeah, so we got that situation going on, and, and until we get further details on that, you know, whole situation. Wade Barrett. Wade Barrett. There you go. There you go. So, uh, well, let's move on and talk a little Elias. And, and you know, the biggest question with most people is, do we walk with him? And I think he still has not got that answer. Uh, but what we do know is he sings, and you know, he sings a little bit of Paul. Yeah, <laughs> I knew you would, Harry. Uh, mm-hmm. Elias, you know, does his little song about you know that you know Apollo Cruz and all that good stuff, kind of like we got at No Mercy, uh, which leads in Apollo and him having a match. You know what? Uh, Kind of what we got at No Mercy a little bit. Apollo got a little offense here going, and uh, these guys end up on the outside of the ring. And Elias is laying down, but finds a way to kick Titus O'Neil and knock him down, which is kind of comical in a way. Uh, which, uh, you know, pisses off Apollo Crews. Uh, fisticuffs, throws in Elias into the ring. Elias uses that as an opportunity to, you know, take on Apollo with a distraction. Takes him down, and uh, once again, Elias is overcoming Apollo Crews, but that doesn't fare well with Titus O'Neil, and uh, Titus O'Neil pretty much attacks Elias and takes him into the corner. Elias escapes out of the ring and walks down the ramp, feeling pretty good about the whole situation. 
I don't know. I mean, this is nothing super special. Uh, when we did our No Mercy review, Harry, I, I kind of talked a little bit about both guys. Apollo Cruz is that guy that I felt bad for for a while, and I'm still feeling bad for him because he's always in this situation where he's never getting a chance to be on TV. If it is, it's on the pre-show. He's finally getting an opportunity through Elias, but still nothing good for him. So I still feel bad for him. Elias is just doing his thing. Uh, and it's nothing grand, but Elias is still getting to be on TV, get plenty of opportunities here, win matches. I'm happy for Elias. I still, once again, feel bad for Apollo. I think the issue with Apollo and Patrick and I kind of talked about this during our, our No Mercy review last night is that the bloom is kind of off the rose when it comes to him with Titus Worldwide. And the fact is is that perhaps he and Akira Tozawa might be better off go, trying to go into the tag team division since that clearly needs a reverb. That clearly needs an influx of new talent right now on Raw due to the fact that the Revival's out due to injury. The Hardys are now out due to injury. And the only real... Uh, Cesaro might miss some time as well because of everything going on with his facial situation. So the only real two tag teams that are currently left in the division besides the uh, the reunited Shield are the Miztourage and the and the club. So I feel like this would be the opportunity to move uh, Akira Tozawa and Apollo Cruz representing Titus Worldwide, or even uh, Cruz and Titus O'Neil, who, despite the fact I don't want to see him in the ring. Um, putting them in the ring as a tag team as well to kind of replenish the ranks in the tag team division. I think Elias is going to be just fine, though. I think that he's finally starting to catch a grip with the regular fans, and I do believe that there are a lot of people who are really enjoying the gimmick as well, myself included. You know, I, I just want to touch on your uh, thoughts on Apollo and, you know, Kira Tozawa. I think that's that's the right way of looking at this those guys as a tag team would do themselves a lot more favors i think they do the show a lot more favors so i'm with you on that they they need to do it and it works also with the titus o'neill worldwide stuff not to mention i feel like akira tozawa is one of the cruiserweights that's over enough that he doesn't need the cruiserweight division he could survive as a member of the main roster Mm-hmm. And they've been presenting as that, right? I mean, I, you didn't even see him later on in the show. And I think I can't remember. Uh, he was but, on the know, stage. He was okay. I just couldn't remember. Yeah. So they're still considering him a part of the cruiserweight division, but yet he's you know doing his thing with the titles worldwide. So I think you know we were right though about that stuff. So uh, enough about that. But I, Elias is a guy who I look at and say to myself, it's apparent they want to do something with him. They want to see how far they can take him at. But they don't want to push him too far, right? They don't want to get him in big, you know, major title matchups or face guys like even Finn Balor and people like that. They want to kind of let him work his way up. And that's, that's to me, the best way of doing it because the crowds are getting to know him more. They're starting to follow what he's doing. This is way better than what I, I used to think about him with, you know, NXT. And it was in NXT. I thought it was terrible. I was bored. I didn't care for it. Here in the main roster, it's working. And he's- I'm at, mm-hmm. I was just going to say, he's like Raw's version of Bobby Roode. Yeah, you're right. He really is. He's that yeah. he's that mid-card talent who they definitely want to get there out in front of you, but they're not quite ready to take him to that next level yet. Mm-hmm. And, and if you ask me, it's the smartest idea they've had. Because <laughs> even with Bobby Roode, I mean, he, he's a great talent, has a lot of uh, ability and intelligence, but yet, I mean, pushing him up to a, you know, certain level would not be great, right? I think that you need to keep him in front of the crowd, let them decide what they think, let them understand more about him before they do push him to a higher level. So, Elias, you're doing fine. I just, you know, 
hope that they continue being smart with him. Um, but yeah, I mean, also really quickly here, uh, do you think this is leading to maybe Titus O'Neil getting back in the ring and facing Elias because he's, you know, basically getting picked on by him or, or do you think he's going to send Apollo Crews over and over again after this guy? Um, I think that the option would be for Titus to look into recruiting somebody else to join Titus worldwide to fight the battle though. I don't think the WWE wants Titus in the ring on a regular basis anymore, and I feel like that's probably for the best for all parties involved because Titus has proven that while he has a ton of charisma, he has zero charisma once he steps inside of the ring. Mm-hmm. And any kind of efficiency that he may have had, he may have on the microphone or as a ringside second disappears as soon as the bell rings when he's an active participant. I feel like this is the opportunity for Titus to recruit somebody who's not possibly being used on a regular basis on Raw or even somebody who's not being used on a regular basis over on SmackDown and bring them over to Raw as the newest member of Titus Worldwide in order to continue the arc with Elias Sampson because there's only so many more times that we're going to be able to see Elias Sampson and Apollo Crews before we get tired of it. Yeah, uh, that's very true. I really now thinking about it, you know, wonder who that person could be. You know, I'd love to kind of get a grasp on that. I, off the top of my head, I can't think of anybody, but uh, I can know. think of somebody off the top of my mind who's been rumored to possibly be returning to the company. Uh, who is that? One Montel Vontavious Porter. Oh, now that is really cool. I really have not paid attention to those rumors. If that is the truth, I don't think there's a better fit. I think that's a great fit for Titus Worldwide, if you ask me. Wow, that's I'd love to see it. That's all I can I'd, say. I'd love, love to see it. see it happen, too, but I think a lot of it's going to depend on whether or not uh, MVP is willing to dedicate the time to go back into the ring on a full-time basis because when he was last seen here in the States, it was after everything went down with uh, him and the GFW or the T well TNA at the time and the Lucha Underground situation over over uh, Hernandez. Mm-hmm. So he's somebody that would be a fresh face once again to the American audience, it's similar to the same way that uh, Shelton Benjamin's return has kind of boosted SmackDown. Yeah, you're right, and you know, but let's be honest, MVP doesn't need to be there all the time anyway, right? You can bring him in for a short time span, and if he needs to take his time and go off somewhere, it's not that big of a deal. Right, you're not. It's not like he's going to become the next Intercontinental Title holder or hold tag team titles or anything like that. I think you're bringing him in here to get some, you know, crowd reaction to get some of those old fans to pay attention to what's going on, maybe boost the ratings a little bit more. That's fine. I'm okay with that. No problem with me. So I really hope that happens now. Now, now you've got my hopes up, all Harry. If it doesn't happen, I'm going to be all upset at you. So uh, <laughs> nothing unusual. Somebody being upset at me. <laughs> so, uh, we'll that's move on. Much, that's pretty much Sean's modus operandi on Tuesdays. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> I'll leave it to Sean for sure. Uh, but yes, let's talk about something else that you know happened in this show, and we talked a lot about you know uh, the tag team. So I want to touch on that real quick before we move on. You know, in order here. Uh, let's talk about, you know, what we had here tonight. And, you know, we talked about Dean Ambrose and Seth Rollins a little bit here. Uh, we did have a match with Ambrose, uh, excuse me, Rollins and Sheamus tonight. Of course, you know, uh, Ambrose had the night off technically. Uh, we'll talk about him a little later too. Uh, but I want to mention this Rollins match, uh, really quickly. Uh, so Rollins and Sheamus have this match and, uh, you know, do their thing here. Uh, have a pretty decent match. We've actually got a chance to enjoy these two tag teams face each other. So 
when we see Miss Ingalls matches, it's usually just as good. And I think they did a fine job here. Uh, still not a fan of that knee finisher uh, by Rollins. And he uses it to win here and beat Sheamus. But, you know, it is what it is. We're having that go down. And then, of course, you know, we'll talk about some of the other stuff. But I just want to mention about this match. What did you think about that match overall? Were, were you happy with it, Harry? Well, the issue with Rollins' finisher, with him using the uh, the Omega-style V-trigger as his finish right now, is the fact that this is already his fourth finishing move in the WWE. And that's not something you traditionally see in this day and age, is somebody having to change their finishing move so many times. I mean, he's gone through God's last gift, the curb stomp, and the pedigree before getting to the V-trigger. Yeah, that's what's bothering me, too. And here's the thing. You know, we have those wrestlers like Dean Malenko and other guys that have been called, you know, the man of thousand holds, those kind of references. And now it's going to be Rollins the same. It's going to be a man of a thousand hold uh, finishes, you know, Mm -hmm. so many finishers who can name when they show his highlight video, whatever. I'm sure, you know, eventually he'll, you know, have this big DVD set or something like that. And it'll be like, you know, trivia question. How many finishers did he have in his career? Right. Um, So and it'll probably be like 15. He actually has had a DVD set released earlier this year. Okay. Well, see, at least, you know, the early ones, it won't be so bad. But when it's at the end of his career. Yeah, yeah, there's that. Um, As far as the match itself goes, um, first of all, let us officially state for the record, as we said on the show last night, Cesaro, goddamn professional. Amen. And then, uh, yeah, uh, the fact that he was even at ringside for this match amazed me due to the fact that I couldn't even imagine going through what he went through last night. Screw that. Screw that so hard. Uh No. The, the match itself is perfectly okay, but I think we've become spoiled with the action that we get from these four guys in the tag team matches that when you see them in singles action against each other, it almost feels like kind of a letdown based on how good the tag team matches are. And I feel like that's a similar situation like what we have on SmackDown between the Usos and the New Day as well. It, you know, you're not wrong. I, I still think that they're decent matches. I, I don't hate But they're them. not as good as the tag matches are. Yeah, and you're exactly right about that. You know, and that formula that makes them so good is not there. And you just got, really, you just get half of the pie, which means you only get half the enjoyment. And that's, you know, okay, but you're not getting everything you could. I mean, I'd probably put tonight's match around the three-star mark, which is perfectly acceptable wrestling, but when you're putting up four, four and a half, four, four and a quarter, four and a half, like the two tag team matches have done over the course of SummerSlam as well as at No Mercy there, then three stars between them in a singles match has got to be considered a little bit of a letdown, and maybe that's just me being spoiled as a fan and enjoying their work in tag team action. Mm-hmm. No, I'm, I'm I'm right there with you. And, you know, I look at this whole situation going down and the way that they've had to kind of change things a little bit now. I, I'm kind of glad in a way because we're getting something new. But on the other hand, it's it's kind of, you know, sad to see some of these great talents, you know, have to kind of change things and move around because of those big injuries. And, you know, you were right with Cesaro. Man, what a trooper. I, I, I There's so many people that would just would have tapped out and said, hey, you finish the match. I'm going to go to the doctor. I'll, I'm going to go backstage. And that's not what happened with Cesaro. He's the man. Uh, and at least now I know what to get him for Christmas. So it makes me very happy. Oh, groan. <laughs> well, the good news is is it's it's live on USA Network this year. So maybe somebody actually will. 
I I, I don't doubt that that's going to happen. I bet someone will bring two front teeth for him. So, Um, but yeah, I mean, so (laughs) do what? My suggestion, Mick Foley. Oh God, that'd be so hilarious, right? Him and Santa Claus bringing sorrow of teeth. Oh Lord, it's awesome. God, that's something else. Works on multiple levels too. Mm Mm-hmm. That's very very true. Very true. Um, but yeah, so you know, we wanted to kind of talk about that match, but there was a lot that actually took place before this too to kind of set up, you know, what happened with that match. I just wanted to kind of get that out of the way a little bit here. Now, earlier in the night, we had, you know, basically the storyline of Kurt Hawkins, where he's not winning matches, he's Perfect. on a losing. Do what? The word you're looking for to describe Kurt Hawkins tonight is murdered. Yeah, murdered. Yeah, there you go. But I mean, <laughs> well, what we have here is he's continuing on talking about his losing streak. Who's going to face him? And and, and that murder uh, is really true because Braun Strowman is the guy that takes him on, and he is completely killed. Thrown, you know, chokeslammed through a table, uh, you know, power bomb through that, you know, a digital board. I mean, it was just disgusting, uh, which was actually very pleasant at the same time. Uh, but Braun Strowman is still pissed, and you know he's angry, and he demands an actual opponent, which is hilarious. With the guy that we get is Dean Ambrose. He's nuts. He's injured still from that big match he had last night, and he's still willing to come out here. And you know, does Dean Ambrose right? He's that lunatic. He gets away from Braun. He finds ways around it. You know, they have a decent little match here. I think it was. It was fine for what it was, but Braun Strowman's going to come away in the end, right? And that's exactly the way it works out, you know. They, it's just too much. What's up? Yeah, they gave Dean a couple of hope spots in this match, and the Tornado DDT on the floor looked really good, in oh, my opinion. Classic. That being, that being said, though, this this was kind of just there to rehabilitate Strowman after the loss to Lesnar on Sunday night. You know, and I think it was a good job of doing that. There's so many of the guys that could have chosen. I think it would have been a letdown. I think Ambrose is kind of, honestly, the right formula for that. I really felt like he fit in here. I I feel like I want to see Strowman team up with somebody and go after the tag titles now because that could be fun. Oh, God. I mean, uh, just to think about that, I mean, does he really need a tag partner? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, come on. Uh all right, that's that's probably fair. <laughs> I'm just but, you're thinking, who's going to be that guy that's going to be like, hey, uh, Rom, I'm your tag partner. Uh, um, okay. You know who I think would be awesome as his tag team partner once he gets over being injured? Uh, who's that? Samoa Joe. You're just talking about murdering them... people. The, the, the tag yeah. team. Yeah. Yeah, just is... have them run over people in the tag team division. I can already picture the name of the tag team, 187. Yeah, that's legit. Yeah, I mean, that's all they would do to the people all day. If Braum doesn't take you out by his pure strength, you know, Samoa Joe's just going to choke you out. So it's- I can see it now. Mm-hmm. Braun hits the Braun hits the power slam. Joe comes in with the coquina clutch with the finish. Oh, God, that sounds amazing. Um, but, you know, they'd, they'd be holding the tag titles for way too long. Like, we'd eventually get tired. <laughs> 
Okay, that's also probably fair. Um, no, but back to the Ambrose and Strowman match. Yeah, I saw a lot of people complaining about the fact that Ambrose was the one selected for this match, but honestly, it doesn't hurt Ambrose. It fits in with the Ambrose character that, frankly, he doesn't give a fudge sickle. He's going to go do what he wants to do, and if that means answering the open challenge from Braun Strowman, then, well, so be it. And he kind of touches on that a little bit later on in the show. Yeah. And it also does the favor of kind of rehabilitating Strowman off of the loss to Lesnar last night that left a bad taste in a lot of people's mouth. Maybe not so much the fact that he lost, but how he lost, I think, was what left the bad taste in a lot of people's mouth. So given the opportunity to pretty much MDK Kurt Hawkins and then the match that he has and being able to stand as defi- as uh, definitively triumphant as he was against Dean Ambrose did a lot to help restore some of the credibility to Braun Strowman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm right there with you, and I agree with all those points. And, you know, you're sitting here saying to yourself, I mean, how are they going to come out of this and, and make Braun look strong still, which he is still strong, but coming out of this also not looking like a loser. And he that's the way they presented him here. He didn't look like a loser. You really felt like, you know, this guy is as strong as he ever was. You know, sure, he went through a battle with Brock Lesnar, and he didn't win, which not – really a, a favorable thing for the universe. I think a lot of us are not really thrilled about that. But at the end of the day, we still have Braun Strowman as a big, strong monster who is strong as ever, and he's killing people, and here we go. Ambrose not, needs – go ahead. Not to mention there's also the story that can be told off of the Lesnar match as well that Strowman gassed himself out by throwing too many bombs at Brock too quickly. And you can have him learn from that and learn that he needs to not try to be as aggressive when it comes to being in the ring with somebody that can match physicality with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're totally right. And, you know, we'll have to, to see how they kind of continue on and when they get back to that, if they get back to that. But, you know... I think Brahms Young, he's continuing on this whole role of the most dominant guy around and, you know, just happened to work out the way it did at No Mercy. But I think down the line, there's no way they can treat him like that again. Or, or if they do, it's it's going to be really bad. Uh, they've got to make him even more dominant now. He learned he he was educated at No Mercy. I'll say it that way. He learned that he made mistakes once he figures those out. He's going to be even more dangerous. There you go. Um, I I do want to talk about Ambrose here, though. And and you made this point that that is what Ambrose is. He's psychotic. He's crazy. He takes a risk. And, you know, after that match, you have Rollins and him interacting on this show. And Rollins is like, man, you know, you're, you're, you know, self-destructive. And Ambrose is like, well, I take risks. It's what I do. I don't care. And they kind of have this back and forth about, you know, is this really smart for the tag team? You know, and Rollins says, you got to think about me. You know, we're a team. You know, if you're injured and you can't be in matches, then that affects me. So they kind of have that, and Ambrose is kind of going back at Rollins and saying, look, you're too predictable. You know, it's just, it's just the way it is. So what Rollins does here is say that he's going to go to Kurt Angle and ask to face Braun Strowman next week. So oh, Rollins, I guess, you know, you're kind of wrestling Jesus. Get ready to be crucified. Uh, I'll let you stay on your own for that one. What I will say <laughs> is that, see, I had a I had a line set up. For, oh, the the end of the segment uh, with Ambrose. The end of the segment with Ambrose, where he looks at the kit, where he's like side glancing at the camera, and he's like, "I gotta admit, I didn't see that one coming." Go get him, Seth. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was my reaction too. I I couldn't help but laugh at that. I just I think Ambrose is at his bat at his best when he's kind of being flippant. If he's kind of being you know going a little, I guess you could say a little off script. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you're right. It really does fit his personality better. It, it's it's one of those things that works for some guys more than others, and it's a definite for him. So. They need to let him do that on a more regular basis and, and just really get that stuff going because the crowd needs that. You know, Ambrose and Rollins have been guys that had come out of the bad feuds coming into being a tag team again. And I have been really low on them. Ask Paul, every week we do this show, I am really low on Ambrose and Rollins. I just don't care enough. And now, as of last night and, and now, I'm starting to get on that train. I'm, I'm, I'm a late comer. I'm starting to get back on. I feel like I can get comfortable with these guys. I feel like Ambrose matters again, where for a while there, I just kind of felt like he was a part of the show, but not a valuable part of the show. Now I'm starting to kind of get more behind even him. So I think this is actually good interaction. We need to see the stuff between both these guys. They both are doing things that matter. So I'm happy. I, I feel like we're getting out of that nasty taste in our mouth from what they were before. So good on them, right? Yeah, and I, I think that uh, I think that the, the story of the reunion of Ambrose and Rollins has done a whole lot to reinvigorate Ambrose as well. Because for the longest time, the best word that I could think of to describe Ambrose's character on Raw was lethargic. And now he has a renewed sense of passion about him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm with you on that. It really has brought a lot out for him. And, you know, I'm completely happy, like I said, compared to what I was. And you asked me two weeks ago, I was sick to my stomach. I didn't want to see it. So, uh, But, yeah, I mean, uh, let's move on from this uh, and let's talk about something that really, uh, I don't know. I think I'm still sick to my stomach at times. Uh, talking about Finn Balor. Uh, and Finn Balor, you know, of course, had that big match last night with Bray Wyatt. And he did come out victorious. Well, on this episode of Raw, uh, he kind of comes out and has a little interview and talks about, you know, his little situation with Bray Wyatt and how he's kind of ready to be done with that. And he's looking to get back in that universal title hunt that, you know, he's been wanting to do. Well, also in this show, you have him, um, you know, catch up with Goldust backstage. Uh, and Goldust approaches him and says, hey, uh, earlier tonight you mentioned me uh, and my situation with Bray and bringing me up. And look, I don't need you to fight my battles. I, I don't need that at all. And, you know, Balor's like, I'm sorry. Didn't you know mean to step on your feet. Uh, sorry about that. And Goldust slaps him in the face and uh, throws him around a little bit, which will take us to a match between those two guys. And, you know, as expected, these two guys put on a, you know, a little match here. I wouldn't say it was great. Uh, I wasn't really all that enthralled with it. Finn Balor wins. That You should expect that. Uh, but, you know, we get all that, and, and then we have the music take place of he has the whole world in his hands. And it's creepy kids, all that. And, oh, God, Harry, Bray is still around <laughs> with this thing. Oh, why? I mean, I thought this gold dust stuff was just kind of pointless. Now I still have Bray in this picture? I'm a, oh. uh, y- y- verbatim what Gary just said. Copy and paste. Move on. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go, everyone. You don't have to even hear us talk uh, about it now. <laughs> it's... 
it's probably leading to a tables match based off the fact that they used the announced table for a spot at No Mercy. And the tables match at uh, TLC will probably be the blow-off with the coup de gras through the table. And then hopefully Balor can move on to better, if not bigger, things going forward into Survivor Series. I... I hope so. It's just every time I think Balor is finally away from this, he's sucked right back in. I'm sucked right back into not caring about Finn Balor, and I hate it. I hate it a lot, Harry. I I want to care about him. I want to get behind what he's doing. It's just it's it's a black hole, and it just sucks. Uh, I hope you're right, though. I hope they do blow it off. And this gold dust stuff, I, I, you know, all of a sudden he's a... It's a I, like, mm-hmm. I like gold dust more than most. So I'm actually okay with letting gold dust interact with Valor here and having them have a somewhat competitive match. Now, granted, Balor puts him away relatively simply with the coup de gras, but at the same time, I think that... I still think Dustin has a lot to give the world of professional wrestling, and I think him working with people like... Him working with people like Balor is going to do a lot to help Balor with his psychology as well because Dustin just has so much experience in wrestling and so much experience working live crowds and stuff. And one of the issues is that I think the issue for Balor is that he doesn't connect to crowds once the bell rings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he, he's somebody, too much wrestler, right? Yeah, working with somebody like Goldust will allow him to bring out more of his persona in the middle of matches rather than just focusing on okay, well, this is happening here, and then this is happening in there, and then this is happening there. Kind of like the uh, the same knock that it used to be on a guy like, uh, oh, who was I about to say? Uh, a guy like Randy Savage, in that he used to like pre-plan everything for his matches. And I think you can kind of see a similar tactic in a guy like Balor, in that he's very, very set in his match ways, if that makes sense. Yeah, uh, it does make sense, and you know I can understand that point. You know, I look at Balor as a guy that has uh, really a persona about him, but yet the charisma is still working its way out of him. And I think even in the ring, his his way of kind of connecting with a crowd, like you're saying here, has not always been there. It's just, hey, watch me wrestle, and not, hey, you know, you're a part of this. And I think that they've been trying to really work with him on that. I noticed a lot of it at No Mercy. I really did. I noticed a lot of the looking into the yes. crowd, making hand gestures, things like that. That really I've not seen a lot out of Balor. And even, I, you know. Yeah, even the little stuff like the way that he was selling the ribs after the Uranagi on the announce table, too. Mm-hmm. So, Like the I mean, fact the fact he's doing more to attract people into caring about his matches rather than just going out there. Um, to steal a phrase and part of the language, getting his shit in and then going home. <laughs> yeah, that's the truth, though. It, it really is, and you know, <clears throat> the, you know, Finn Balor, you know, has been a, a great talent for a long time away from WWE. Coming into WWE, still a great talent, did great things at NXT, but now on this main roster, he's trying to find his way because, well, there's all those little intricacies you have to have. On a show like Raw, it's entertainment, right? It's it's big time entertainment. This isn't just wrestling, wrestling, wrestling. It's it's entertainment, and we got wrestling involved, and that's the way sometimes it gets presented. And so he's got to present himself that way, and he's trying to do that. His sports factor is just fine. His entertainment factor between the ropes needs work. Yep, 
You're exactly right. So there and you go. With that. Mm-hmm. The ability to connect to crowds will do nothing but serve him well in the long run, specifically when he's just Finn Balor and not the demon. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think once that's kind of done and then you throw in the demon, I think there could be a, a nice connection. But, you know, I, I like the guy so much, it's hard for me not to care about him just without all the other stuff. But I get with the casuals, with other people, mm-hmm. you need it, right? But for me personally, mm-hmm. I don't even need all that. Um, and you know, I want to say before we, we move on, you know, you said Goldust is doing something that's really good for this roster and good for guys like Finn Balor. I'm in total agreement. The one thing that I say with Goldust is I'm a little bitter, and it's not about Dustin himself. It's not about anything uh, what he did personally. I don't like the creative I, aspect. Oh, go ahead. I know where this is going. We talked about it last week when I was on. Yeah, I, I don't like the fact that we don't have that storyline of he was going to find a protege or someone out there to kind of be in his film. And, and that still bugs me. I wanted to see that because I was really looking forward to him having something cool and bringing up someone new that needs his help in role, you know, besides just on screen in actual uh, mentorship role. So that's what bums me out, Harry. I'm still mad about it. Yeah, and the issue with that is the fact that I think a lot of Raw is written kind of on the fly, and something like that that we a lot of people got excited about was thrown in there kind of happenstantially, and then it didn't go anywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess it's just one of those things you have to deal with when it comes to Raw. They, they you know, get you excited about something, they'll throw something out there, and there's no guarantee it'll ever happen. So Absolutely. Uh, well, let's talk about, you know, this match uh, that we had at No Mercy, which was a fatal five-way between the women of Raw, and Alexa Bliss was the winner, and so she comes Yay. out on, yeah, and she comes out on this episode as, you know, herself, really, coming out there kind of cocky, and uh, talking about the fact that, you know, she did an excellent job, and how she woke up and saw all the comments and everybody was talking about all the other women but her and how they weren't respecting her and how she didn't appreciate that and you know which leads to another lady coming out which is mickey james and mickey james said hey you know don't forget about me i'm still here you didn't beat me and she also mentions i heard what you said on raw talk after and the fact that you know you think you can beat me in just a few minutes uh, you know, I've got my accolades, but they speak for themselves. Uh, so nonetheless, you know, Alexa calls her old and Mickey James basically takes her down, <laughs> attacks her. And, uh, so Mickey James stands tall at the end of this. And, you know, here we go, Paul, Mickey James and Alexa Bliss. Oh, Harry, I, I'm <laughs> still getting old. huh? Yeah, it's all right. I, I called, I called Paul Sean a couple of times when he filled in for <laughs> Sean over on SmackDown and 205 Live. I mean, uh, Frankly, when you when you when you do this show this late at night for the sake of for the sake of uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? For, I, I do it uh, out of habit. Ref, for, for for the sake of reference, it's two thirty Eastern when, yeah. when we're recording this, so I'm allowed to screw up a couple of times. Bear with me. All right. Anyways, um, as far as this particular segment goes, you know what? I thought about this after it happened because while it was happening, I actually really enjoyed the segment. But I think the thing is, is they're going to have to give Mickey a couple of matches where she can look really credible going into the into the title match against Alexa. And the reason I say that is because the last time we saw Mickey on television, she was getting beaten in two and a half minutes by Emma. 
That that is very true. I love Mickey James. I've always loved Mickey James. I loved her work in Ring of Honor as Alexis Lurie. I've loved her work in the WWE. I've loved her stuff since she's returned to the WWE. I even kind of tolerated her stuff in TNA. She was one of the reasons TNA was worth watching for a while. That being said, though, I think at this point, Alec- or Mickey finds herself in a similar position as Gold does, does, that she's there to help these women develop. And any chance for us to buy her as a credible threat is going to have to happen in the build-up to this match. I think the match could be excellent, but I don't buy for a single second that Mickey's going to be the one to take the title off of Alexa. Yeah, I think you're right, and I think a lot of the people will kind of see the same thing. Uh, they believe that you know she's a credible opponent, but her actually winning a match when it comes to you know the title, that's that's not going to happen. And it's, it's all hopes and dreams if you're just a Mickey James nut. And I, I think you know for the most part, all that matters is that she does help develop you know Alexa Bliss and the rest of these young ladies on the roster. And I, I think it's a credible feud though. It's something to kind of give you that transition factor that you need until you get to that next big match for Alexa Bliss. And, you know, of course, that's going to be Asuka at TLC, right? And Asuka no. can't get in the ring right now. Uh, I'm sorry. No, I don't think it's going to be Asuka at TLC. I think you slow burn Asuka to the women's title. You keep her away from the women's title for a while. I think Asuka's going to debut at TLC against Emma. Oh, okay. That's fair enough. I was just wondering if they were going to hot shot Asuka. I kind of imagine them just saying, ah, oh, she's immediately going to get a title shot. <laughs> <laughs> longest reigning NXT women's title holder. Why not? But you know, you're, you're probably right too. Uh, either way, uh, there will, maybe that's the reason there's a little burning too. Maybe, you know, Mickey James and Alexa Bliss have a big match at TLC. And, uh, that takes a little longer for us to get to the Oscar stuff, but. Well, I, I could see, I could see them doing something along the lines of Mickey and Alexa have their women's title match at no mercy or not. No mercy at TLC. And then Oscar comes out and stares down, Alexa after the match. Yeah. I mean, and if that's the slow burn that starts that whole build and getting us to that next point, I mean, I'm okay with it. I, I'm, I'm game. Uh, I just feel bad for uh, Alexa when it comes to that point. Cause basically, uh, her, uh, death warrant has been signed. So it's going to be kind of crazy. <laughs> I think the, I think the money match to build on Raw, unfortunately, though I, I, I can actually say I don't wish to see it. I think the money match to build on Raw for the women's division would probably be Asuka and Sasha Banks because it's the only one of the main matches that hasn't happened on, previously in NXT. Asuka's faced Emma in NXT. Asuka's faced Bailey in NXT. Asuka's faced Nia in NXT. Asuka's faced Mickey in NXT. Asuka and Sasha have never met one-on-one. So I think that's the money match to build to probably going towards WrestleMania for the Raw brand. So I wouldn't be surprised to see either Asuka or Sasha be the one to take the title off of Alexa going up towards the build to WrestleMania. And then possibly Asuka walking out of WrestleMania as the the Raw Women's Champion. Mm Mm-hmm. I think you're on to something there. I just worry, uh, and the reason I worry is because a lot of times they don't even know what NXT is on Raw. So That's fair. <laughs> I don't even know if there's a lineage in their minds. Uh, so let's just hope that they do pay attention and do look at that history and go with what you're saying because I'm on board for that. I really would love to see Asuka, Sasha Banks. I think it would be a great match. It would be a lot of fun to watch. It would be something new. Because you don't have any tape, like you just mentioned, to go back and look at, right? And you don't have any of that stuff where people could say, well, they lost, they won here, da 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 I think it would be nice to see. A nice treat. 
Um, but nonetheless, we, you know, of course, we'll have to continue and follow what's going to happen between Mickey James and Alexa Bliss. But what we do know is in this show, we do have Sasha Banks and Bailey backstage talking about what happened at No Mercy. Both are very disappointed. They kind of look at each other and say, look, you know, you kind of screwed me, but no, you kind of screwed me, that kind of thing. But yet, yeah, eh, we're, we're still buddies. We're still going to tag together, right? And we're going to go out there and take Nia Jax and Emma out and all that good stuff. So that leads us to that actual match. We have that tag match go down. And, and Nia Jax, you know, like she did at No Mercy, looked good, doing her thing, basically powering through these ladies. Uh, but in the end, they're able to get her out of the ring, get her away. And Emma is the legal person in the match. And basically, you know, it comes down to, to Bailey pinning her. And so uh, that's what happens here. It's a you know a nice uh, what do you call it a, a connection between uh, Sasha Banks and Bailey. They both basically do a little finisher on her uh, to complete the match. And Emma once again becomes the fifth wheel. Uh, takes the pin. Doesn't look great coming out of this whole thing. It is what it is. Uh, what did you think about this whole thing? Um. <sighs> You know, I'm a longtime wrestling fan, and I've kind of talked about this before. I, I, I grew up on WCW. Same here. Uh, I, my very first VHS tape that I ever got was Fall Brawl 1998. So I'm about to kind of tie this storyline into one of the storylines at that show. You know what my issue with the situation with Bailey and Sasha is? What's that? They've kind of turned it into the Steiner Brothers breakup. You know what? I, I really never thought about that. It, it, it does seem familiar. It, it's been teased for so long that, frankly, I don't care anymore. You're, you're not wrong on that, though. I mean, because they keep teasing it, they keep teasing it, and, and it's become something that we talk about all the time on our shows. I know Paul has alluded to it plenty of times about how Sasha and Bailey, when they finally get their big match, you know, at WrestleMania or, you know, at wherever else, it's going to be something special. But I, I'm with you. I just don't know if I care. It, it, it has been teased too much. In in order for them to have a special match, though, you actually have to pull the trigger on the match happening. And the issue with that was, is to put this into perspective, back in 1998 WCW, Scott Steiner turned on Rick Steiner back in February of 98 at Super Brawl. They did not have their first actual one-on-one singles match until Halloween Havoc. Wow. See, and I kind of forgot about that. Wow, that's and just... there were three different pay-per-views in between where the match was announced that it was going to happen and then didn't. You wow. can't you can't do that to your fan base. You can't keep constantly saying, oh, you're going to get this match here, or oh, we're going to get there, we're going to get there, we're going to get there, pay attention, and then you never get there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's true. I, I agree with you, and I think a lot of other fans would agree with you as well. I mean, I think that this is something that they care about and they want to happen, but I think fans are over it a little bit. They just we, – we keep hearing about it. We keep hearing about it. No payoff. They're ready to move on to the next thing. They don't even want to see it now. So 
I think when they do actually get that match and they find a way to get into that feud, it's going to have to be pretty rough. They're actually going to have to be pretty physical. They're going to have to sling some major mud for us to get back and be invested in it. Because at this moment right now, we just are not really caring a lot. And that's a big problem. Uh, but yeah, I mean, this will be interesting to see, you know, how they do continue on with all this stuff and, and the way they're going to present, you know, of course, all, you know, for these women, because now they're not going to be in that picture and Alexa Bliss has moved on and they're going to have to find a way to stay relevant and, and stay around TV and have these meaningful feuds and matches on Raw in between this stuff going on. So we'll, you know, continue to follow that. Uh, but what we do see in this show, and I want to make sure that I don't miss anything else that's big here. Uh, we kind of talked about a, a lot of the other stuff that's gone down. Uh, we have Enzo Amore asking for a celebration. And this celebration uh, was asked for earlier in the night, and Kurt Angle says, sure. You know, I don't think he doesn't really want to do it, but he's like, okay, yeah, whatever. You can have your celebration. And then later on, you have Enzo approaching Angle and says, look, and he goes, I'm walking around here. I'm getting a lot of the jealous looks and things like that. And uh, basically, I want a no-contact clause in my contract because everybody else around here wants to touch me. They want to come beat me up. I don't want that to happen. You know, put that in my contract so no one can hit me. And if they do, they forfeit a chance to fight me. And then from there, you get, you know, Angle agreeing but saying, you're annoying. I, and he's not wrong. I'm right there with you, Ankle. He is super annoying. Uh, and, and, of course, we get the celebration later on in the show. Certified G jersey gets, you know, revealed. Uh, Enzo does all this, you know, silly stuff. And then you have uh, Enzo basically toot his own horn, you know, right? Doing all that stuff, saying Big Has was, you know, being held up by him and all that. Before we get to you know all the rest of the stuff, has Enzo already annoyed you? Before we get to this other part, Harry, <clears throat> I guess I lost Harry here. Uh, I don't know what happened, but anyway, I'll, I'll just kind of continue this on. And I'm sorry, I was kind of depending on Harry here to kind of help you know me talk because I was choking to death. I've been sick and <laughs> so anyway, so you know at this point I myself am personally irritated because I am so sick of this Enzo thing. I've been sick of it for a long long time. So what we get here is we have Enzo, you know, there you go Harry, you're back with me, man. All right. Um is it is it just me or did Enzo kind of turn heel tonight? Well, he has and you know that's what I'm alluding to, because at the point where I'm at right now is we got that certified G, you know, whole picture frame and all that, and, and he's just not annoying only, us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not only that, but the way that he was cutting the promo, how he was cutting it, the way that he was kind of talking about the fact that there are people that are turning against him and he doesn't care because everybody else is turning against him, so why should he care if there are a couple more haters? Yeah, I mean, you're right. He's call, He's basically calling out everybody in the crowd. He's calling everybody out in the locker room. He's basically just tooting his own horn this whole time. And, you know, I, I, 
you know, he's already got that, you know, uh, flavor about him where you're just kind of like, oh, God, you are too annoying now. You, it was kind of cool when you had big Kaz and you had someone to play off of, but now it's gotten to the point where I, I kind of understand where people were coming from when people didn't like you. Now I'm right there with them. And, you know, that also brings out the point where he turns heel like that, but you get it even more because, you know, the entire cruiserweight division comes out, you know, and they're all staring at this guy. And Enzo goes on and just tears each of those guys down, just making fun of him, which I don't know if I really agree with. But, I mean, they do it anyway. So he's tearing him down, and Neville comes out, and, and Neville's like, look, everybody on the stage actually said that they would be willing to have you a part of the division, and you're over here tearing them down. Like, I, I don't understand this, but the one thing you got to know is, you know, I don't care about you, and I don't really even care about them. But, I mean, you have to understand that, you know, people were standing up for you, and you're acting like this. And, you know, with Enzo and the way he showboats, you know, doing the whole nananana boo-boo dance that he does, you know, in the ring, uh, because no one can touch him. Neville doesn't care. Neville attacks the guy, which I think is cool. I especially love the fact that we have Neville take that piece of paper, shove it in Enzo's mouth, and then kick him in the mouth. Oh, that was classic. It was great. I loved it. So I like a lot of this, Harry. I like it for the fact that you have you know Enzo really doing what you said, turning completely heel here. But on the other hand, you kind of – root for the evil Neville, the the evil king himself of the cruiserweights. You're kind of rooting for him. But it also gives an opportunity to the rest of those cruiserweights. Every guy on that stage now doesn't have to deal with Neville because Neville just took himself out of the title picture. Now all those guys had the opportunity to face off against Enzo Amore, and I appreciate that. I'm actually kind of hoping Neville took himself out of the cruiserweight title picture and put himself right into a different title picture, specifically the Intercontinental title. Oh, my God. And I wondered that, too, Harry. I really did. I wondered if they were taking Neville out of the picture to moving on to, I don't want to say bigger and better things, but, yes, bigger and better things. 100% bigger <laughs> and better things. Because um, I like the cruiserweights. I, I don't let, like to disrespect them. Let let the record state that Wrestling Miz for the Intercontinental title, title is miles ahead of Wrestling Enzo for the cruiserweight title. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're not wrong on that. I just I don't like to be disrespectful to the cruiserweights. I think they have their own thing going. So, I mean, I actually enjoy watching 205 Live and talking about it with Sean every Tuesday night here on the W2M Network. Shoot. There you go. Cheap pop. Yeah. Bang, bang. Anyway, uh, back to what I was saying, though. Um, yeah, him specifically running down the each of the cruiserweights individually is what I kind of think cemented the fact that this was Enzo's heel turn. And specifically with the fact that he went in as strong as he did on people like Rich Swan, Cedric Alexander, and Grand Metal League, who were the guys to officially welcome him to the division on television as well. And then he's going to be such a condescending asshole to them, kind of officially substantiates that this was a heel turn for 205 Live for Enzo. It's going to be Enzo versus the world on 205 Live. Yeah. Like, TJ Perkins and Rich Swan may hate each other now, but they both hate Enzo Amore. Uh, that's a definite. And, and you see all those guys who are having feuds between each other on the stage standing together saying, like, you know, screw what we've got going. Let's get that guy. <laughs> the problem is, is Enzo has violated the number one rule. Don't be a dick. And he's the perfect one, though, to be it. I mean, he, he's he got... 
Absolutely. He's the exact guy to run this storyline with. Go ahead. You were about to explain. I'll let no, you finish. No, no, you're, you're right. And, you know, that's the one good thing coming out of this, right? If that is what they've been doing and working towards, they've done an excellent job because I, I'll be honest with you, week in and week out, I'm saying I, I used to love Enzo. Now I'm tired of him. He's a complete jerk. You know, even the Miz brought out a lot of true things about, you know, what the Enzo has been and who he is, even backstage. And you kind of start to really hate this guy. And now he's in this situation and you really should hate him. And if it's, you know, all a work or half of it's a work, this is really him. Boy, is he a dick. And they, you know, they gave us everything that we wanted out of that persona tonight. So I'm appreciative of it. And I think this is the right way to go. And to me, it gives me a reason to want to watch 205 Live because now there's all those guys having an opportunity to face off against this guy. There are a lot of people who felt that way over on the Raw thread on Yes Wrestling as well. Like they said, it gave them a renewed sense of interest in watching 205 Live, even if not necessarily watching it after SmackDown, going back later in the week and catching it on the network or whatever when you can watch it on demand and stuff because of the fact that Enzo actually raised a couple of valid points tonight. Neville was the Cruiserweight champion for the better part of about nine months. This is the first time the Cruiserweights have had a main event this year. So, I mean, it's a valid point that Enzo was raising there, and the fact is is that Enzo puts eyes on the Cruiserweight division. Enzo raises interest in the Cruiserweight division. The way, that, the fact that he's coming across as such a condescending douchebag while he's saying it is what adds the intrigue to it. Because of the fact that you have guys that are all, that are all substance and all, that are all, uh, all about what happens between the ropes inside of the ring, such as Cedric Alexander, such as Richie Swan, such as the, uh, the incredible Grand Metalik, who I hadn't seen before the Cruiserweight Classic, and now I've grown more and more impressed by him every single time I see him. And then you have, so they're all on the entertainment side of things, all on the sports side of things, where Enzo is pretty much strictly entertainment and is all about doing whatever has to be done in order to win matches. He'll grab a guy's tights, he'll put his feet up on the ropes, he'll kick Neville in the junk if he has to. It's sports versus entertainment in the 205 Live sense. Yeah, hey, you're right on that. You're, you're exactly right on that. Um, so, uh, and, and, you know, there's lots of good things, you know, coming out of this. And uh, it makes me really happy for all the points you brought up and, and some of the things I kind of mentioned earlier. You know, the one thing that I find really interesting here is, you know, they decided to put this in the main event. And, you know, even Enzo, you know, says that he goes, you know, Neville, all these years you've been the champion and yet you've never got the main event on Raw. Well, guess what? I brought it to the Cruiserweights. Uh, That was another kind of a a cheap thing, but it's still kind of the truth. But not only that, I was a little surprised that they did that. I think the not to mention he brings up the fact that he sells more in merchandise than the other guys have ever sold combined. And he's not wrong there either because the only one that really has any merchandise from the Cruiserweight division was Neville. And then I think maybe Cedric and Rich Swan and TJP might have had a shirt or two down the road as well. But Enzo's the guy that has the merchandise available. And Enzo's the guy that frankly has sold a ton of merchandise from his team with Cass as well as as an individual. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's the truth, and I, you know, I'll be honest with you, the shirt he has out now, right now is not a bad shirt, you know, I kind of like that, the soft shirt, you know, uh, so, I mean, all valid points, and all really, to be truthful, you know, some things that I think people need to evaluate and really consider, and so, you know, it, at the end of the day, 
I think this is kind of cool that they gave the main event spot to the cruiserweights. I think it's something that, you know, if you would have asked me, if, would this ever happen, I'd probably say no. So, really cool for them. I'm really happy for them in general because that, that means that they do want people to watch 205 Live. And they are paying attention to the cruiserweights. So. Well, not to mention, I think that the opportunity to do this here as well as the fact that, let's be honest, the third hour of Raw doesn't necessarily draw the greatest ratings anyways. So why not take that chance and give these guys an opportunity to see if they can keep at least some level of interest in their segment? Let's find out how much of a draw Enzo Amore really is here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, that's that's true as well. You know, So we'll have to look at the numbers and, and see if really – it does matter, and if people did stay tuned in or left, you know. Um, but you know, I'm just happy that you know we got some good things in the main event, even though it wasn't you know Roman Reigns or anything on that front. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, Harry, anything else you wanted to bring up about Raw? Because that pretty much rounds out our show. I mean, I, I, the only thing we have left to do on the show really is rate it. No, I I can't think of anything else that happened on the show that I I wanted to discuss here. Um, I will say that the fact that they're doing the signed championship belt for uh, Connor's Cure is pretty cool. Yeah, that really, really is awesome. And you know, it's it's you hate to say this, um, but I'm affected by this right now. And you know, Connor's Cure is a big deal, and I really, I kind of feel bad. I don't usually prop it up enough, even on our shows, but I really think people need to look at that, need to donate money need to understand that this stuff really does affect people's I, lives. And what's up? I was going to say, I'm much more likely to be willing to associate with Connor's cure than I am for Coleman for the cash. Yeah. Yeah. I can understand that for sure. You know, um, you know, but you know, in, in general though, it's kind of, like I said, it's kind of sad. I, I never bring that up, but I mean, Connor's cures are a, a really good deal. And I, I'm really, uh, dealing with this right now in my personal life. Cause I got a, a close family friend of mine uh, who is their sons and Luke has leukemia right now. And he's about, I think he's 12 now and uh, he's dealing with some stuff like that. It's really life threatening and, and really having a tough time. And, you know, it, I'm getting a chance to see it in, in front of my eyes and it really touches me and it really means more to me now watching this stuff with the Connors cure as before. I thought it was nice, but I really didn't put a lot into it. Now I kind of see that this is a, a really awesome thing. And I'm really happy that they do that. So, you know, really good stuff on WWE for doing this and putting an entire month behind it. You know, the, the day that those videos were recorded, the, uh, the children's hospitals videos was back in July. It was the raw, the night raw was in Pittsburgh and I was actually in Pittsburgh for that episode of Raw. So having the opportunity to go back and see these people that are relatively close to me. And Pittsburgh's about an hour away from me from where I live. So I, I know people around this area that have uh, families affected by this situation too. So yeah, even if you can't afford the prices that the auctions go up to, because let's be honest, some of these auctions can get absurdly outrageous when it comes to pricing. If you have the opportunity to do so and you can support Connor's Cure in order to help raise money for these kids and raise money for the families of children fighting these diseases, then I highly recommend that you actually do so. Uh, I second that for sure. Well, let's uh, go ahead and put a rating on this show. What do you think about it? And what, what are we going to give it tonight? Slightly above average. Nothing stands out as blow away, but there's nothing awful either, in my opinion. So I'm going to put this somewhere around a six. 
I'm right there with you. I think a six is a nice number. I think that they did some really good things when it comes to, you know, getting Braun Strowman back in business and doing his thing. They didn't leave it lingering around where he was kind of moping around or upset or, you know, you didn't have Paul come, Heyman coming out by himself gloating or anything like that. You just, you moved on. You, you got Braun Strowman going in the right direction. Uh, I think Rollins and Ambrose even come into this and, and we got a new direction for those guys eventually. I just think overall, Outside of Balor and things going on with him, I'm pretty darn happy with most of the, the, the feuds and things we got coming out of this. So, you know, not everything we wanted, but I think a six is the right number. So there you go. Well, you know, once again, we are done with this episode of Raw. We've had a lot of fun. Uh, Harry, I mean, I, I thank you for joining me tonight. Uh, you know, you're, you're not a stranger, of course, because you do these shows as long as, you know, I do them because you do SmackDown Live and 205 Live and I'm over there on Raw. But it, it's just a blast interacting with you, man. Every time I get a chance to do a show with you, it's just a treat for me personally, man. Yeah, within the past week, I've done an episode with each of the three members of the show. So I did, I do SmackDown and 205 Live with Sean. Me and Paul teamed up with Pat, my co-host Patrick, to do the May Young Classic. And now I've been here on Raw with you guys for the last couple of weeks too. Yeah, so it's awesome. We're really happy to have you tonight. Uh, you know, I just want to throw a couple plugs out your way, everyone. Uh, W2Mnet.com. Don't forget to go check it out. Of course, you'll get these review shows, our Wrestling of the Mac shows that we do, and Wrestling Unwrapped is over there, Harry. I mean, you've got some cool things going. You didn't know Mercy. What do y'all got coming up this week? Uh, we return this Sunday night with the 20th anniversary of the first ever Hell in a Cell. As we go back to Bad Blood 1997 for the number one contendership match between then European champion Shawn Michaels and The Undertaker. Uh, in addition, in the undercard, Bret Hart takes on The Patriot. And the gang warfare continues as well between The Nation of Domination and The Disciples of Apocalypse. Wow. So that's coming up. This, that's coming up this Sunday on Wrestling Unwrapped with myself and Patrick Ketza. In addition... If you're a football fan, you can listen to me, Stephen Er the Third, and Brandon Biscabing as we present the kickoff, which is kind of a part in the interruption style debate show, which is different from the um, game by game analytics that Sean and Eric do on football to the max. So you can check that out every Wednesday night is when we record the show. Usually it's released Thursday morning or so. You can find it immediately after over on the W2M Network YouTube page, however. Yes, for sure. And you make sure you go and check out all those shows. And, and just to let everybody know, I always promote, you know, hey, you know, Wrestling to the Max, go subscribe, rate, and review, and do that. But, hey, if you want all these shows that I mentioned, Harry mentioned, and you want them all in one nice little bow and package, just go search out W2M Network, and that's a place you go subscribe, rate, and review as well, because you'll get all those shows, and it'll be just easy as pie. You'll get them all in your dock as soon as they happen. And it, it's worth it. Trust me. I'm subscribed to it. I see all these shows. I, there's tons of shows that I don't do, and I just enjoy all of them. So make sure you go do that as well. You know, we appreciate all of you that have already done that. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, uh, we've had a lot of fun here tonight. Uh, I thank everyone for joining us and for myself uh, and Harry. Uh, we'll catch Go ahead. Go ahead. Before we get out of here, I want to send out my thoughts. I want to send out my thoughts and well wishes to my buddy James Fawn Cannon. He knows why I'm sending these out. My my thoughts and prayers are with you, man. 
Yeah, for sure. You know, and also I want to you know make sure we say Sean and Paul, you guys get better. I feel so bad that they're sick, and hopefully I wasn't patient zero making them sick. So, and if you're also wondering about wrestling at the max, that episode will not be taking place tonight. We may be pushing that off until Tuesday night. Uh, so be looking for that. We'll let you know further details. So, well, anyway, me and Harry are out of here. We will catch you guys down the road. The following podcast is a W2M Network original production. Visit W2Mnet.com for all of our other great podcasts, plus news, reviews, articles, and opinions from the worlds of wrestling, video games, football, and entertainment. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.